Gidugu, and I am the team leader for the Africa Clean Energy Technical Assistance Facility um, that is uh, located in Nairobi. Um, thank you for joining us for this podcast. Today we will be discussing a really important topic uh, about taxation and its impact on universal energy access. We will be looking at Kenya as a trailblazer. Uh, just a few words about um, the Africa Clean Energy Technical Assistance uh, Facility. This is a UK government funded program uh, funded by the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office, and it aims to catalyze a market based approach for private sector delivery of renewable energy electrification technologies. Uh, our focus is on high quality standalone solar systems and we have a, we have a great emphasis and um, and we focus on how these can reach uh, poor uh, households and mar and marginalized groups it is um it is for this reason that we, we have done a study on um, the impact of taxation on uh, on the price and uh, and the cost and affordability of a standalone solar um, uh, standalone solar equipment. So why is uh, responsible taxation? Uh, why is it called responsible taxation? And why is this important? It's important because we have had long debates for uh, for many years now as 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 to whether um, solar and and standalone solar equipment should be exempted from tax or not. So we have done the study and we have uh, come up. We have found some interesting um, uh, recommendations. We've come up with some interesting recommendations that include the fact that um, having exemptions for standalone solar equipment uh, will contribute uh, in a, as part of the uh, making this uh, equipment affordable. And so uh, I will be the moderator for our discussion today on Kenya. And I will ask our two panelists to please introduce themselves. Let me start with the ladies. Uh, so ladies first, uh, so over to you, Mary. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Mary Githinji. I am the country manager for Kenya and Somalia at the Africa Clean Energy Technical Assistance Facility. And I have been supporting and um, leading on behalf of uh, the ACE team, uh, the advocacy for uh, the removal of VAT on solar products. And I've worked in this in the public policy space for over 10 years. Thank you, Paulina. Thank you, Mary. Um, over to you, Patrick. Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Patrick Sonry. I am the head of policy and regional representation with GOGLA. GOGLA is the global organization for the off-grid renewable energy associations, and we seek to engender an enabling environment for our members and for the industry to be able to deliver their products to the communities that we're serving. Thank you, Patrick. Um, so, Patrick, let's just dive straight into it. Um, and we know that Kenya has been recognized as a trailblazer in the off-grid sector. What are the notable milestones in Kenya's off-grid solar journey and what has mainly contributed to this success? So, I think we, as we all recognize, uh, when we look um, in terms of 
those who have been trained blazers for leveraging and using off-grid solutions for energy access and, and even delivering um, on, on reaching universal access. Kenya has been one of those trailblazers. Um, the government itself, um, you know, historically, I think this goes back to 2004 when the East Africa community came together as a community and when they looked at the pillars for realizing their development goals, they said energy access is a key enabler. So Kenya, along with the partner states, um, it, it provided for tax exemptions for renewable and off-grid wind, wind energy and similar technologies. And going back then, I think this is part of the historical framework that allowed Kenya to be the industry leader globally today and, and East Africa. Then fast forward, you, when you look to when the country decided to establish a universal energy access target, it was one of the very first ones in this region. Initially, it was set for 2020. Um, 2020. They actually also want one of the first to establish or and develop a renewable energy rural electrification plan with specific milestones, um, saying how they would reach as the grid, how they would reach using mini grids and standalone solutions. They were actually also one of the first movers to adopt national standards and quality standards in the initially the lighting global, but also the IEC standards. So they've consistently been a trailblazer in looking at the opportunities in this sector and how to actually leverage it to deliver their, 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 the country's priorities for energy access across the whole country. Thank you, Patrick. I think that really gives us a great uh, background as to where where Kenya finds itself in, even as we talk about some of the specific changes that have uh, happened over time. So the tax policy for the off-grid sector has undergone several changes over the years, but more particularly between 2016 and now. Um, so Mary, how uh, talk us through how the uh, talk us through the tax related changes that we have seen, especially uh, between 2020 and 2021. So I was saying that in in 2020 there was um, a tax amendment bill that had been uh, prepared, and and that um, tax bill was proposing that there would be a VAT on solar products. And at that time, the industry quickly organized itself and, and um, you know, through some actors supporting career, um, went and engaged with, with the National Assembly. And those um, that proposed VAT was actually not enact or not not reinstated. Um, you know, the VAT exemptions had been in place for many years uh, for solar products. So this was really a shock for the industry. But not soon after, um, with the Finance Act that was actually responding to the COVID pandemic uh, in the country, which had a lot of tax breaks, that um, Finance Act actually uh, put in uh, VAT on solar products. And um, not just solar products, but you know several other renewable energy technologies. Um, it was a, a lower tax than, than the usual 16% but it was still 14% um, tax for an industry that had been tax exempt for many, many years. Yeah. Thank you, Mary. Um, so uh, let me come back to you, Patrick. How did introduction of VAT uh, affect the sector and, and what happened next? 
so, you know, as we look at particularly what happened last year, um, we, 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 it, it's important to understand the broader context of what was going on in 2020. We had gone from um, a 2019 that was really optimistic. We were looking at um, in the, the sector growing and everybody was looking at 2020 as going to be really one of those years where we would see accelerating growth, greater access and penetration for the sector. And then at the end of 2019, we started to hear about the global pandemic, the COVID pandemic. Um, and right in March 2020 is when we started to see these global shutdowns. And the industry was already seeing because of what happened in India, sorry, in China in, in December and January 20, December 2019, January 2020, there were already con, um, concerns about access of products in terms of the availability because China had shut down in terms of production. And then we were seeing these shutdowns across much of Africa with restrictions on travel. We were seeing a lot of people being forced to stay home for, um, with, with in some cases, really strict uh, lockdowns in place. So we as a sector were seeing one, um, our customers were now in a situation where they couldn't work and they were, they were beginning to struggle to pay for their products. We, we as a sector were struggling to access the products we needed to deliver. And we were working with the governments to see that could we continue supporting uh, our clients so that because uh, we were initially not designated as an essential service. So it was one of those where we already were seeing a struggle and constraint in the sector with, uh, you know, the, the ability of the customer to be able to earn a living for themselves, pay, you know, meet, provide food, but also make sure that they keep their energy products uh, available and operating was a problem. So when we see this is when now the Kenyan government came in and introduced VAT um, and, you know, these, these VAT taxes on the sector, which immediately one raised the issue of in this time, is this the right time to be raising prices on your customers and on the industry? And when we knew the people we are serving were already going through this economic stress. Um, so the taxes were, 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 and from analysis, we can see that companies were either going to be forced to absorb this cost or going to raise their product cost by between 16 and 40%, and we did see this. We saw that um, at the same time, companies were having to adjust how they had to collect their down payments from their customers because the tax was due upfront. And in many cases, um, this meant that even though you're trying to provide a finance plan to, to, the, to your customer, every sale was going to force you to, to dig into your own cash reserves to pay the tax bill for, for, for money you are yet to collect over a period of time from your customers. So it, it made a lot of companies ask the question, could they continue to sustain offering payment plans? The prices on the customers had to go up. And, and we, when we look now after the fact what's happened in Kenya, we can see that one, you know, on, on the positive, the demand tried to hold, but we saw customers actually make a move towards smaller products, which less capable products. So, which means, in, you know, maybe not even reaching tier one, um, move to lanterns and things like that, because which, which to us says they really needed these products, but then they had to go with what they could afford. 
um, and, and when we look at the, the goal to make sure everybody has a product, but also is moving them up the energy access ladder so that they're able to light their homes, but also be able to do something with that energy, be it for education, be it for information, that that was, was quite undermined last year in, in this space. Yeah, so a huge impact on uh, on energy access overall, um, especially for the you know more vulnerable households. Um, so, so Mary, turning to you, um, what did it take to successfully advocate for the reinstatement of uh, VAT exemption? Who did you work with? And and maybe you can just tell us how it unfolded. Sort of, you know, how did it happen? Okay, so once the VAT was an, um, the VAT was enacted, the the Finance Act was enacted. Um, the industry again organized itself um, through um, Kerea. There was a, a coalition, um, a loose coalition of actors who were all supporting um, the Kenya uh, Renewable Energy Association to advocate for the removal of VAT at, at the earliest convenience. And um, this coalition brought together different actors. It brought together Gogla, it brought together the Clean Cooking Association, um, African Mini Grid Developers Association, um, ourselves, um, and other development partners such as SNV and Power Africa and um, GMG Facility. And these actors together really sat through and, and, and thought about what's the best advocacy strategy to actually advocate um, the reversal of this VAT. Um, and what the strategy was, basically we need to do some research and that research needs to be sub-sector specific so the solar sector, for example, needed to come up with an economic impact assessment that would demonstrate um, what the impact of uh, the VAT was on access to electricity uh, via solar and the growth of the industry. And the same for the clean cooking sector and the same for um, the mini grid uh, subsector as well. And so we, we went off and, and undertook this extensive research. And once the research for the three sectors was concluded, we then developed um, policy position papers or some responses to government really um, to address this issue and to put, make the case to government that um, actually having this VAT does not benefit Kenya and Kenyans in the long run. That, that's really the case that we were making in underserved um, populations across our country, that they deserved access to electricity, access to clean cooking um, at affordable prices um, so that they would be able to improve the quality um, of their lives. And so these policy positions were then used to engage um, different government and decision uh, key decision makers. We, um, I have to say, we were very fortunate to get the Ministry of Energy to support the studies and to work with us to actually uh, come up with the research, agree on the research findings, and uh, support the entire advocacy engagement. So um, we worked with the Ministry of Energy, we engaged with um, National Assembly committees, we engaged um, with um, the National Treasury where we could, we engaged with um, a host of de decision makers 
in their various capacities um, to really get them to understand what the problem was and to see it from um, our perspective. I think um, in my view, the National Assembly committees um, were invaluable in, in um, really understanding the issue and helping us advocate and, and make sure that this didn't go, um, that the VAT was, was actually re reversed. Um, so yeah, and um, also a lot of press. We were in the press. Um, we had a lot of positive um, communication going out, um, specifically outlining why this sector is so important and how um, making this change um, will actually impact on millions of Kenyans um, across the country. So yeah, primarily that's what we did. And we were fortunate to be successful. Tax advocacy is normally quite difficult. And um, the Finance Act that was published um, in March this year, in July, sorry, in July this year, was actually, um, yeah, did not uh, exempted solar products and a host of other renewable energy products uh, from VAT. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Mary. I, I think this has been a, a really long journey, and and I know Patrick, you've been part of this journey um, for for most of the time, and uh, and you know we have ups and we have downs. So what what were the key challenges? Uh, that were encountered and uh, how were they addressed? <laughs> we actually saw um, that in, in an effort like this, really trying to understand who you need to reach and what 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 was um, how how to engage them in 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 a in a meaningful conversation that responds to the things that they care about or the, or the drivers for them, I think was probably the first big, big area that we needed to. We found that um, one, we had the support of the national or the line ministry, which is the Ministry of Energy. And I think from, from you know, what was viewable to us, right from the decision to, to introduce the, this taxation, they were, they, they were skeptical about that and, and, and they raised some concerns. But the taxes did come on pl in place. So when we started to engage, we, we clear, clearly started to see that um, making the case to the national treasury and you know speaking to them in terms of and, and, and demonstrating that social economic impact and the value in terms of this is the right fiscal and economic policy for the for the country was a place where there was not enough information to be able to to speak to them, and which is why I think we needed this this uh, this the, the fiscal and economic impact analysis that A staff did. That was just the first step, but then the second step, as we interacted with the decision makers, we found that we think we've done enough to communicate the impact and the need and how we contribute. But as we talk to the parliamentarians in the line, different committees that make decisions in this regard, so the line ministry responsible for energy and energy access, um, you know, when we talk to them and some of the questions that they they raised, be it around consumer protection, be it around pricing, be it around whether these uh, these the, 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 these incentives make a difference for the intended beneficiary, um, and even the question around Kenya's own 
um, you know, starters where they've got excess electricity at some points, but there's this disconnect with, you know, you've got about excess capacity in electricity generation, but you still have an energy access problem and being able to just demonstrate that there's a role. Then going now to also the line, uh, the ministry that works on the budget and the finance and make decisions on exemptions, again, was around pricing, uh, was also around who we are intended to serve. And because even with solar, you've got solar at the industrial scale, you've got solar um, that's used in large enterprise where there are, you know, the, the, the issues and especially when we talk about, we talk about rural electrification or um, you know, energy access for the unreached is a really different context and really being able to just walk, talk to them and make them understand going back to their communities and, and showing that I think was, was the second, uh, was another one. And then finally, I think it was also making sure that we as an industry and energy, energy industry have a coherent discussion so that it was not the mini grids as, uh, are, are making a case for mini grids that may or may not align to us um, on the renewables and energy access is also the clean cooking, being able to, to understand what are we asking and then also internally look at what we are asking and also not be overreaching in that request. And I think that really were the things that we needed to harmonize so that we were clear on our request. We were also able to engage each of the the people or the decision makers in this that would have to have a role in our for us to be successful in ways that speak to what the, the chair that they sit in. Thank you, Patrick. I think that's you know really comprehensive and and will be very useful for others who wish to also engage in a similar process to understand what are the things that they need to look out for um, in engaging on this discussion because it has its sensitivities. You know, we are asking governments to forego certain revenues, and we are trying to um, and and we are showing them that there is a greater good to be achieved. Uh, by foregoing those uh, revenues. So very, very important um, points there. So now that the exemption has been reinstated on VAT, uh, what advice would you give to the sector and, and government really? What, what is our next steps? What do we need to be looking out for? And, and this question I asked to both you, uh, Patrick and Mary. So maybe Patrick, you go first and then we hear from Mary. Thank you. So. Um, I think this is a really important question because even as we 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 sit today um, and say, is this uh, you know done deal and and uh, should we not have concerns that we may have to face this same question either in Kenya or in another country in in, in the near future? And I think the reality is, if we are not consistently demonstrating our value and and connecting with the decision makers um, and also with our customers we are going to say, say this, have this problem again. So I think one first to us as industry is really to do, make sure that we do a much better concerted effort to make sure that the decision makers are um, seeing the value. They, they can, as they go to their communities, as they um, look how the, you know, what is the problem and how is it being solved and are we part of that? that solution set 
um, is, is something we, we need to do a much better job on. Um, we, we, you know, that, that's, I think, going to be one of the first things that we have to do. And we need to make sure we are providing data to the ministry, to the parliamentarians, and even back to the National Treasury so that when they look and they sit to evaluate, that they have the body of evidence and, and that, 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 that demonstrate that this is the right position. Secondly, I think we really need to make sure that we, we continue that relationship with the line ministry that's working on energy access, that we, we clearly um, continue to show that for that, uh, the Kenya's national electrification plan or any other country's plan, that we are helping them to, to we, we are one of the pillars that's helping to realize that, both in terms of numbers and, and anything else that's super important. Um, then I also think that we, 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 we as an industry continuously also need to make sure we are focused on the end user, that the end user as they speak to their officials are, are, are speak to, you know, you know, that, that any, you know, that we continue to make sure that the value that we provide is something that they recognize and they speak up to, to their, to their, to their elected officials on. Um, so that they they don't only hear about solar when they have a gripe, but also when solar is 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 that transformational tool. Um, I think for me those those would probably be the things that we I would I would focus on for now. Mary, you have yeah. some thoughts on this as well? Yeah. Yes. So I actually agree with um, a lot of Patrick's points. I think for the industry and for the sector um, that this is a first big win, but the sector needs to continue advocating and uh, finding every opportunity to um, build knowledge and understanding of the sector um, for decision makers and continue to say that our goal is that we can reach universal um, energy access and it's important for us to do that. Um, I think for government prioritizing um, the sector and prioritizing energy access for all Kenyans is, is really, really important and particularly trying to figure out how do we address the bottlenecks that we know are there? Uh, we know we have concerns about, for example, the quality uh, of, of products available in the market. How does the government make sure that we have the right standards in place, they're being implemented, and that we reduce as much as possible uh, the importation of, of any products that do not meet these quality standards? How do we make sure we streamline from um, the importation all the way to installation of uh, solar products, for example, that they are safe for use for all Kenyans, so that we have um, energy access, but also optimal use of, of the devices and the products that are installed, um, and that we're really benefiting from, from um, access to electricity across the country. Um, how do we manage things like e-waste? Um, what do we do about that? This is something that if we ignore, will really be a big issue in the future. So I really think the answer is, can, um, you know, can we prioritize 
access to electricity um, as a country and do everything in our power to ensure that we do achieve universal access to electricity, that we, do, um, we don't change the taxation framework before we have achieved this. Because if, if we do, then it's, you know, we, it's two steps forward and a few steps back. Um, so the government needs to use evidence um, in, in making decisions, for example, on reinstating the VAT um, for Kenya or on things like import duty uh, for solar products. Let's rely on evidence and what's the impact that such decisions actually make on our major goal, which is access to electricity. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Colleen. Thank you. Yeah, and, and my, my final question to you both um, is sort of you've both touched uh, on, on this as, as you went along in this last um, conversation, um, but uh, as a parting shot, what can we do to ring fence the incentive um, that we have achieved now until energy access targets are achieved? What can we do? Is there anything that we can do to ring fence? Um, this win? So um, maybe if I can start, um, you know, I, when what I think as we look at not just Kenya, but also um, the other countries where we are seeing proactive moves to, to, to provide some of these incentives, I think what's clear to, to, to me is um, until a country makes a deliberate decision to, de to, to deliver universal energy access and actually has somebody responsible and, and looks at what it will ta take to deliver that, um, then, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a tough road for us. What we found is in, in every country that has they um, made a deliberate effort to set up a universal energy access goal and actually a plan that that develops a roadmap to realization there to to realize that we find that um, inevitably the cost you know you know the cost or the the ability of the consumer to afford the products to make sure that there's enough products available how do you open up markets that um, the private sector will not go because they're just not commercially viable. And, and, and that's where these instruments that are both incentivized to, to, to incentivize the products are available and that, you know, they, they are brought there, but also that the customer that we're trying to reach can afford that product. Um, those are decisions that they will inevitably have to deal with. And therefore, this is where the role of these fiscal incentives um, um, comes in and I, I believe that without you know with if for in any you know a country or a place that's not yet uh, deliberately set uh, um, its path its, its itself on that path and actually does internally independent be it in the government with it with a development partner or in consultation with the private sector to actually look at what will it take to reach those and what are the pillars we as a private sector for example um this year are, are uh, you know are, are recognized through some research with gogla that we published earlier this year is that there are some customers despite everything we've done to drive down affordability 
that just will not be able to afford a quality verified product if it's sold on uh, based on you know the, the true commercial cost to manufacture and deliver that product. And we are we're saying similar to all other energy products, we do need some type of subsidy to bring down the cost, especially to those who just cannot buy themselves. It could be your orphans, it could be your just poor, um, because you don't have uh, economic means and even those people should not be left behind. So for me, I think um, if the only way we will reinvent this is not just the private sector saying we need, um, you know, support to, to, to open up new markets or to make our, our business models work because that continues to be one of the things we work on as private sector. But also, you know, not just us speaking about the constraints, but also the government it's, and the partners themselves looking at these constraints and saying, how do we deliver this? And what role can they bring? I think that to me is, is probably the, the biggest thing that, that needs to happen. Wow, um, I agree with Patrick. I think that being deliberate is, is really, really important. Um, as we are talking about this, uh, you realize the Kenya National Electrification Strategy actually had the target for universal access to electricity for Kenya being 2022 that's a few months away, we have not achieved uh, that target. So my suggestion, and, and, and I think it's important that as a sector, we relook at what has actually stifled the achievement of, of this goal. Um, if you think about it, private sector in, um, in are able to support government to really achieve um, their role, which is the public uh, providing a public good, which is universal access to electricity, can be supported by private sector and is supported by private sector. So how does government work with private sector and really catalyze the growth of the market so that um, private sector is able to deliver because private sector can deliver access to electricity faster uh, at a lower cost um, and, and actually reach places that the government might not reach over the next few years uh, so that we can actually achieve universal access to electricity. So in my mind, ring fencing this is first and foremost um, outlining what the, the key constraints that have, um, you know, made the sector not growth. Um, look at how do we um, address those bottlenecks, but specifically for the finance uh, or the fiscal problems, how do we address um, uh, uh, this VAT that it doesn't, uh, it's not uh, reinstated anytime soon until we achieve uh, universal energy access? How do we um, address import duty because uh, products are still, the solar products are still uh, being charged about, is it? 25% um, import duty at the moment. How do we address that? Not only for Kenya, but at the regional level, because it's an EAC um, import duty, but also how do we make sure that we have some sort of uh, checks and balances along the way? How do we chart a path that says, let's do this within the next three to five years. And these are the markers that we need to have as we go. And can we, um, chart our path and check against uh, those goals that we set for ourselves so that we don't miss another goal for ourselves. Um, I know we are missing the Kenya target, 
but I hope we do not miss the universal access uh, goal of 2030, according to the SDG 7. Thank you, um, Mary and Patrick. I think this has been a very insightful uh, conversation. Obviously, we can't get um, into every you know, point of it, but maybe I can uh, try and summarize what we have uh, discussed um, on, on you know, today. Then the first key thing is that um, uh, fiscal incentives in the broad category of fiscal incentives, which includes uh, tax exemptions and, and uh, subsidy programs, are a very key factor if we're going to achieve universal energy access uh, in addressing affordability, especially for um, the more vulnerable and poorer households um, in the country. And this applies not only in Kenya, but it applies everywhere um, across the continent uh, where we have goals and we are yet to achieve those goals. And yet we do, we have here with us a technology um, that will enable us to reach uh, faster uh, and and um, and more affordably than trying to get the grid uh, connected to all the households. We've also talked about the importance of support from the line ministry, uh, and this is very key in in um, in terms of just um, talking about the policy um, the policy direction and the goals and the targets of uh, the line ministry in putting together what would be a credible um, uh, way forward uh, and engagement strategy, especially when you're talking about um, uh, fiscal incentives. Um, in terms of the sort of evidence you need to provide, you, you need to show that the intended um, recipients will benefit from these, um, uh, these uh, incentives that are being issued. And like I had said earlier, it's important that the government is able to see that they are foregoing a certain revenue and what sort of gain and value they get out of it. Um, we've also talked about um, the access goals uh, and, and how we have not yet achieved um, these access goals that had been set up by different countries. And so therefore, the need to continue with this um, going forward uh, to make sure that, uh, you know, households and citizens in these countries are able to access, um, you know, energy. We still have a long way, to, not, not too long to, you know, 2030, which is where the SDG goals are. And uh, the progress we are making has been slow, but um, the use of standalone solar and technologies can help governments to achieve this uh, much, much faster. Uh, we've also talked about the, the need for collaborative effort uh, by actors in the market, in the sector, uh, because without this collaboration, then, you know, we're not able to show the full impact um, that this has on, um, on, uh, on, on citizens. And so the need for the, you know, collaboration between government, uh, private sector, um, you know, uh, development agencies, all of this working together towards um, the goal. And, and I think the last but not least is um, that the sector needs to continue engaging with, uh, with government uh, until really the um, universal access goals are achieved. And so the sector does not need to be only heard 
when things are not going their way, uh, but they need to build uh, knowledge uh, to uh, with all the players in the sector and all the players, you know, within government and other places so that, you know, we can achieve uh, universal access goals. So with, with that, uh, we've come to the end of our podcast. Thank you very much, Mary. Thank you, Patrick, uh, for participating uh, in today's um, conversation. Um, there's a lot more we could talk about uh, as far as taxation, uh, responsible taxation and achieving uh, of universal access goals is concerned. So um, if you if you need more information on these, uh, please feel free to write to us uh, on SKM Help Desk. I'll just spell that out. A-C-E-K-M-H-E-L-P-D-E-S-K. SKM Help Desk at tetratech, T-E-T-R-A-T-E-C-H dot com. So that's SKM Help Desk at tetratech.com or visit our website www.sace-taf.org. So thank you very much uh, and uh, we look forward to more conversations on issues that are affecting the sector. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pauline. Thank you so much and goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thank you and bye.